There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a real pleasure to be back with you again uh, this week and to talk about the power to get things done whether you feel like it or not. This is a a part two interview um, following last week's interview and this time with my co-author, Dr. Stephen Levinson. And it is really it is such a thrill for for me and I think also for Steve as well uh, to be really welcoming uh, Steve. Um, Steve is a leading follow-through authority. I think he's the leading um, authority, though he wouldn't say it. And, uh, he, and he's also a very good friend, um, Dr. Stephen Levinson. Uh, and I can't believe that it's been so long since Steve was on the show. He first came on in October 2011. However, with the launch of our book uh, last week, uh, this is a truly uh, a very special event for us. Now, as I mentioned, today's show um, adds on from the show on the 1st of January 2016. Uh, I'd like to thank Nikki Owen, who um, very charismatically interviewed me on my take on the book. Uh, Big thanks to Nikki, uh, who is very frequently interviewed herself, but really put herself out of a comfort zone there to host the show. Now, what I find really fascinating, one of the things with Steve, is his ability to articulate um, the book and we do it in very different ways. And, but when I hear him talk about it, I marvel at the depth of thought he's put behind this subject uh, after many years. And I'm sure today we'll have some further clarity. In fact, I think one of the great benefits of the book is that our different skills and thought processes prove to be really uh, complementary during the process. So let me share this, the unlikely scenario where two consultants who live 4,000 miles apart, Steve in Minnesota in the USA, and me in Leicestershire in England. We have very different backgrounds and skill sets, yet somehow, um, whether it's, uh, it was uh, through um, some unknown um, universal connection or what, I don't know, but we got to know each other online, and we decided, uh, without ever having met personally, to work with each other and to write our book. Uh, Steve was already a published uh, author with Following Through, written with Pete Ryder. And so over Skype, we spent many hours working on the book and many hours on our own. And as with any joint venture, though, there were good times and occasionally frustrations, yet I'm pleased to say we always handle them very respectfully. Not only this, with one well-composed letter that I give uh, the credit to Steve for, we attracted the interest from a top US book publishing agent, Jeff Herman, who gained us a publishing deal with one of the world's top publishers, Penguin Random House. The book's been on sale for over a week, and we're just so proud that it's getting great, some great press coverage out there, and some, uh, some great reviews already, and there seems to be a lot of sales interest, so that is wonderful to hear, because we just want to help people to, to get more done, get more of the important things done. So if it's, if it's selling out there, we know that's happening. I thought it'd be very valuable and therefore and fun to, to share not just the content of the book, but some of our personal lessons from collaborating together in case you're thinking about collaborating um, yourself on projects or maybe books, uh, as well, of course, is discussing strategies and principles that will help you tackle all those important things, uh, but on appealing things, and projects in business and life that just make you groan. So a huge welcome to Steve Levinson. Well, thank you, Chris. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you. Thank, thank you uh, so much. And um, St- Steve, um, the first question I want to ask you is, um, is what on earth made you decide to write this book with me? And, 
Probably a brave question. Did it prove to be a wise judgment? <laughs> or is it too early to tell? <laughs> no, it's not too early to tell. Even even if we didn't end up with a book out of the deal, it would have been a wise decision because it's been a wonderful relationship and uh, it's been five years worth of, of um, stories that we've shared across the Atlantic and uh, I, I cherish it. So it was a very wise decision. I'm very happy with it. And we did end up with a book, as you may have noticed. Um, and I think it's a pretty impressive book at that. Yeah, we, we... One of the things that made me... Um, want to write a book with you, wanted me to, made me want to collaborate with you, is that I was impressed that you were, you were practicing many of these follow-through strategies and principles that I've been talking about and preaching for, for years, um, and you were putting them, putting them to work in your, own, in your own life, in your own business, and getting great results, and that, uh, that really impressed me. And I was impressed with how just how connected you are. I'm not a I'm not by nature a networker, uh, and you are. And you had lots and lots of contacts with people, and people uh, followed you, and they were interested in what you had to say. And my uh, obsession for many, many, many years is to is to get the message out about the importance of learning how to do things that you don't feel like doing. That there is an art and a science. To it, and that people can do so much more and be so much more successful. But no matter how good my ideas are about that, and how good my strategies are, uh, the strategies that I, I've developed over the years, um, it won't do much good for people unless people hear about it, uh, unless the right people hear about it, and they hear about it in the right way. And I was very impressed that you were so connected with uh, with business people all over the world, really. Um, and I thought that uh, this would be a great collaboration, uh, that uh, I could supply uh, some of the message that I wanted to send, and uh, you could help uh, send that message and actually get it to the places where it would do the most good. And the last thing that, um, uh, that really attracted me to working with you is that, uh, and I confess, I confess this in front of uh, all your listeners, I am an absolute sucker for British accents. <laughs> and even even Chris, when you don't make any sense, it's it sounds damn good. That's quite frequently, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, you know, Chris, I realize this is your show, but uh, let me ask you the same question. What made you decide to write a book with me? And uh, and how do you feel about it, or have haven't you decided yet? I think I think Steve. I mean, for me, you connected with me. And I remember you, you getting in touch with me and dropping me an email, and uh, we, I think we had a Skype chat, and you, you said, could you send across a copy of your book? And it was called Following Through, the one you wrote with Pete Grider. Mm-hmm. And, and I read that book, and, and it hit me just almost bizarrely at exactly the right moment, because I was a couple of years into my business. I, I had, uh, I think, a pretty successful career. I had ups and downs, but I had a successful career and a very successful first business. And then I decided to go out on my own, and... Two years in, I ex- had all these big dreams and, and, and a vision. I was going to all these great self-development courses, and I thought I really knew it, and I thought I was going to be able to create a great business quickly, and I was really, really struggling. And it was only really from reading your book, what it did. I mean, I think about two weeks before that book, I was, I, I was literally almost on my knees with frustration, mm-hmm. and I... It dawned on me that I wasn't doing the things that were important to to get a business 
really going. I, I was doing the things I was en- I enjoyed doing. And I think what your book did when it, I read it was it actually let me off the hook in one respect in that it said it's actually okay. It's actually just quite natural. But what we've got to do is we've got to put in place some strategies to enable us to get things done, uh, some manual strategies. And when I read that, it made so much sense. So I started to put things into place and everything started to change. And so, you know, thank you for sending that through with me. And I think what, you know, what attracted me to work with you, Steve, was that you'd, I think you'd already written a book. Uh, you've seen a very a kind and charismatic and per- individual, but it was coming from a really great place. And I thought, in my vision, I wanted to write a book, but I knew that I wasn't uh, really um, naturally a writer. It wasn't something I'd, I'd, I'd done greatly. I think I'm better sometimes at talking um, and hopefully listening. But I, um, I thought, how, how brilliant it would be to have met this guy who not only wants to, is interested in writing a book with me, he's actually an authority on getting things done. <laughs> 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 and, and and it could hold me to account and you know there couldn't be anybody better in the world Steve at that point in time I thought to actually write a book with than you so I'm so glad we did it it's uh, it's been a wonderful judgment and uh, as I, I, sincerely I think I think I saw you write this once that you said uh, that we'd we'd had a, in frustrations but we handled them respectfully and we always did didn't we yes we did we did, and we held each other accountable. I mean, the book is done because I did it for you, and you did it for me. Absolutely, and I'm without one that. Of the, one of the beauties of collaboration. It's just, uh, and, and it's one of the lessons of getting things done, whether you feel like it or not. And that's that that somehow you're you're often moved more to do things for the other person than you are to do them for yourself. It doesn't seem logical, it doesn't seem reasonable, it doesn't seem right, but it is what it is. And that, that is the way people often are operated. That's the way, that's the way we're wired. I think, um, I think that's absolutely right. And, and that's sharing that journey with somebody else who's holding you to account. And, you're, you know, absolutely true. You could, if you're just writing it on your own, you could let yourself off the hook. But with sure. someone else, you, you feel, crikey, I'm I've, I've letting, I'm letting Steve down if I don't do this. Um, so it's been uh, been fascinating. So I've loved working with you, and it's been you know fascinating. We've never actually met face to face. I mean, we've we been not. talking for five years, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm hoping we're going to make that happen at uh, at some stage. It'd be wonderful to meet you in person. That but I wonder what I mean as a consequence. What what do you think, from my experience, have uh, have been the biggest benefits, but also the challenges behind collaborating on on a book, and also across the Atlantic rather than writing it on your own? Well, I think that, you know, there certainly have been some challenges, and we've had some language challenges. Um, Some of them have been really interesting and educational for both of us. But I think for the most part, we've had more benefits than we have had challenges. Um, One of the benefits that we had is that we've, you know, we we realized that some some of the problems that we were aware of, this whole issue of people not getting things done that they don't feel like doing, that that is, um, it is more or less a universal problem. It's not a cultural problem. It's not an American problem or an English problem. It's, it, it is a universal problem. It, it's something that comes from human nature. And I think that, that coming, from different, coming from different cultures helped us see what was, what was actually the same on both sides of the Atlantic. Yes. And I think just just getting a different perspective. You know, we 
we were not only uh, from different countries, but, um, you know, I was the psychology expert, you were the business expert, and I think what we, what we did was we, we basically decided that this book has to be good psychology and it has to be good business. And yes. if, it's, if it, it's not okay for it to be any less than good in either of those, in either of those areas. Uh, and I think that made for a much better book. It made for a much shorter book, which I think is a beauty. Um, otherwise, it probably would have been twenty seven hundred pages <laughs> if we didn't if we didn't um, decide in advance that if it wasn't good for both of us, it wasn't going to go in the book. Yes. If it didn't meet the test for both of us, it it just wasn't going to go in there. Well, if we 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 had lower standards than that, the book would probably be huge but it wouldn't be very good. It's one of the things people have been saying to me as they've, they've seen it and felt it. it is, it's like, oh, God, this is great. It's, it's, not, it's not a big book. I can read this. Um, right. And I think, I, I can't remember whether it, was, uh, whether it was Mark Twain or someone like that who said they'd uh, you know, been too lazy to write a short, a short <laughs> essay or something like that or a short book or something. But I think it does actually take, take uh, more work, I think, to keep something you know, really concise. Uh, but I also, think so. and I think I think the work is well. It's well worth doing, um, and I've read lots of books where I, I I certainly wish that the authors had had worked harder to make it shorter rather than longer. Me, me too. Me too. Yeah. And there was a. I remember one of the low points in our book writing journey. I remember was when I think we both sensed that things were going a bit awry with each other writing sections of the book, and. Uh, I remember. I'll still. I'll never forget this conversation. I could tell you about about to say something to me when you plucked up the courage to break it to me, uh, kindly initially um, by um, giving me a bit of a praise sandwich. I think it was and sharing some of my nice qualities. But the, but when then you hit me with the bombshell, Chris. I don't think you are very good at writing. And and I remember. I think my reaction surprised you because I think you thought this could be a you know a, a, an end of the relationship kind of thing but I just felt an, an immense surge of relief and was just delighted at the idea of you taking the major lead on the physical writing which you're so good at and me and putting ideas and case studies and and things like that and I just wonder you know how open should people be when they're collaborating to get projects done do you think because oh boy yeah, first of all Oh my God! This was this was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life <laughs> to have that conversation. <laughs> but you made it you made it so much easier, um, and it went really really well. And I think I, I think that really made our collaboration great because we it became so clear that we had very different things to contribute, and that it was it was better for us to call a spade a spade and uh, decide what strengths we each bring. To the project and draw on those strengths and uh, and and not deal with uh, not not create weaknesses by having a, a, a misshapen approach to collaboration. Um, and, and I think that we we progressed as we continued. We we came to more conclusions about what you were especially good at, what I was especially good at, and we we just developed some sense of what you should do, what versus what I should do. And I think it worked out. It worked out quite beautifully, and that's yeah. the best kind of collaboration to have. You know, two people that are basically doing the same thing, more or less. That that really doesn't it doesn't make much sense. Um, but I think we we brought very different very different skills and assets to the project, and I, I think the results are are there. They're evident. Definitely, I think I think it's it's 
in, in that this sort of a situation, it's actually very worthwhile thinking at the beginning, what are the strengths? And once you've worked a little bit on it, uh, you can then, you know, just having a real brutal looking in the mirror, honest kind of uh, thinking as to, you know, what, what, what can I really contribute and how can I really contribute to this collaboration the best and where am I most in my flow? And, you know, luckily you're really in your flow writing and, uh, and with you know, your, your psychological uh, input and thought and, and, and I'm really in my flow connecting with, with people and connecting ideas and sharing them. And I think it worked really, really well in the end and things started to speed up then. And I think also it's not just a matter of identifying those strengths up front because some of them you don't you don't always know you don't always know in advance and I think that we that one of the things that we did right is that we never stopped looking for those strengths and then acting on them as we found them. Yeah, Yeah. we just kept we just kept going. We're going to go to for a commercial break now, and we'll be back with you in just a couple of minutes. And we're going to share a little bit more about uh, some of our lessons during the journey. And then we'll start to talk about some of the, the strategies and some of the uh, the key points from um, our, our five years of work. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Steve Levinson. We're talking about the power to get things done, whether you feel like it or not. And our experiences on the journey of writing together, together the book over over five years i should also say that steve has got proper flu it's not just a, a man cold it's proper flu and he's had three cups of english tea to help him through this and i think he's doing very well so far um 
So, so Steve, I mean, one of the big highs was attracting a great agent and publisher. I wonder if there are any reflections for people on how to follow through with, you know, you know, particularly difficult intentions, because that's quite a difficult one. Yeah, that was that was pretty tough. I I think um, one of the things that we did was we um, we basically ignored the odds against us, and we went we went for the top the top agents and acted as though we were going to be successful, and um, uh, and as a result, we were. There's an awful lot of luck involved in attracting an agent and uh, then in attracting a publisher. But unless you show up, uh, you don't have much of a chance. And we uh, we showed up, and we we did some things that I think are are terribly important and often ignored. And that's that we in our in our proposal and even in our query letter to start with, we uh, we demonstrated that we understood the rules of the publishing industry. We knew what you were supposed to do, but at the same time, we weren't totally bound by those rules. It's sort of like. Uh, an impressionist painting, you know, a painter, um, you have to demonstrate that you know how to paint a bowl of fruit that looks like a bowl of fruit. But then if you want to be really, really great, you want to go beyond that. And I, I think that we managed to do that. We, we managed to um, put a little personality um, into, our, into our proposal and our query letter and managed to demonstrate that we could, we could write a book. We could write a book in an engaging fashion instead of just provide the the industry standard information i think, I think what's uh, i remember you, jeff coming back and saying something really read in it to him didn't it and yes. i think you've got to you've got to create an emotional co- uh, connection through right. your subject with the person that you're writing to and i think that's what we did exactly i mean he saw himself i think i, I think our agent jeff um he saw himself in what we were in what we were proposing to write a book about. Um, he has on his plate a whole bunch of stuff that he has to do. Some of which some of which he's excited to do, and some of which he'd rather not do. And some of the stuff he'd rather not do gets it gets left. Uh, it's not done as well, or it's not done at all, or it's put off. And I think he he knew what we were talking about, and he thought he would like to read the book, and therefore so would other people. Mm. I think at that time we didn't even have a title, so it was uh, clearly what was what was written. It uh, it resonated. So I guess it's about you know about taking the time to understand the rules and to think it through, and uh, and making sure that when that uh, that shot went out, it uh, that that letter went out, that it, it you know hit most of the boxes and was authentic. I think that's what I read in exactly. Exactly, you know, and I think story. also we could you know we could have. We could have aimed for a uh, what a lower tier of agents and publishers, uh, but we chose not to do that. We we realized that um, we might as well knock on the on the best doors, and uh, the worst that could happen is they don't answer. Yeah. So what? Then we go somewhere else. Um, and and also, there, I mean, there's so much. I've been through the publishing thing before. There's so much in the publishing industry that is truly a matter of luck. Uh, it's a matter of coming along with the right idea at the right time. There are books that have been enormously successful that were turned down by hundreds of, literally hundreds of agents and publishers before before someone uh, showed interest. And it's it's just a matter of it's a matter of trying. It's a matter of rolling the dice, rolling.
them, make, making sure you know how to roll them, but then rolling them. Mm. I think we were quite, by the time we did that process, we'd pretty much written an outline for the book, hadn't we? We'd pretty much done a lot, well, quite a lot of the work. There's an also, also an awful lot comes when you start to work with the publisher, but we'd, we really have thought it through and take, taken the time to do that. Yes. And I think that part of that was we, we wanted to demonstrate that we, in fact, can write a book because often publishers and agents are worried that somebody will have a great idea for a book, but they, they may not get it done. Yes. And we wanted to demonstrate that we, yes, we will get it done because we've basically already got it done. Mm, yes, <laughs> we, we had. Now, where, where did your where did your fascination for this this subject of of following through and getting things done, or I should say, the power to get things done? Where, where, where did it really come from? Where did it originate, Steve? Well, first of all, I appreciate you're using the term fascination because my wife insists on using the term obsession, uh, <laughs> which is frankly yeah. probably more accurate. Yes, um, I, I've been obsessed. For, from the time I was a young psychologist back in the in the 1970s, um, I, I was just fascinated with how people uh, have minds that allow them to do such a fantastic job of figuring out what they should do, and they they decide they're going to do it. They promise themselves they're going to do it, and then they don't do it. Uh, Working in the healthcare field, I saw people get lousy healthcare outcomes as a result of not following through on their own good intentions. They decided they were going to change their diet after having an illness, uh, or they decided they were going to exercise regularly, or they decided they were going to avoid this or start to do that. Whatever it was that they decided, they seemed genuinely motivated. They were serious. They wanted to be healthy. They didn't want to be ill, but they just didn't they didn't do what they intended to do their good intentions got lost in the shuffle and nothing happened in some and i remember working even with with physicians who had health problems and they they knew better than anyone else how important it was for example to stick to a, a medic a medication regimen that was very important for treating heart disease for example and they just they didn't continue they didn't stick with it they intended to but they just didn't do it. And so as a psychologist, I was just fascinated with how much potential, how much human potential is wasted as a function of the failure of people to consistently turn their own good intentions into action. Then as a, as a human being, I was, I was fascinated with my own wasted potential in, in doing that. I mean, I, I had many intentions, uh, promises that I would make to myself about I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do the other thing. And in many cases, I didn't do it. And it didn't make any sense to me. So I decided that I'm going to make this my life's work to understand what it is about people, about smart, highly motivated people. What is it about them that allows them to make these good intentions and then not actually act on them? And I, uh, I made a, a discovery which just it, it really blew my mind, and that's that we've always assumed, psychologists, others have always assumed that the mind, the same mind that's so good at figuring out what we should do to make our lives as good as, 
as they can possibly be to improve our business, to improve our personal life, whatever it is. It's so good at figuring out what we should do, it actually doesn't force us to do it. So we come up with these ideas, and then we are basically left flat. Nothing happens. We don't do it. There's no mechanism. The mind actually doesn't have a mechanism that guarantees that a good intention will actually control our behavior. And without such a mechanism, it's really no wonder that people do a lousy job of acting on their own good intentions. And in a way, we should be relieved of guilt for that. Not not following through, not doing things that we don't feel like doing is not exactly our fault. If you, if you actually look at the way the human mind is wired, it isn't our fault that we do such a, a lousy job. But I discovered beyond that that if you, if you actually look at how the mind is wired and you acknowledge that there's some, there's some mechanism missing there, you can actually work around that. If you accept it, you can work around that and actually get things done. But it requires, it requires a shift in your, in your mindset. You have to think differently about what it takes to turn intentions into action. It can't be an automatic process. Most people just assume that if, if they truly decide and they're motivated and they feel very strongly that this is something I should do, that they're going to do it. It doesn't work that way. If you look at how the mind is actually designed, it, it simply doesn't work that way. You have to actually create circumstances that make it feel necessary to do the same thing that you've, that you've decided you should do. It's the only way to get it done. And if you do it, if you do it that way, you can get lots of things done. You can take the, the most awful, avoidance-worthy tasks and projects on your desk at any time and get them done if, if you know how to actually do the engineering that's necessary to create circumstances that will force you to do what you've intelligently decided you should do. I was just with uh, a friend of mine this morning, Jeremy, and we're talking about a particular example of somebody who had an intention and they hadn't followed through on it. And he said to me, oh, it's another example of somebody driving with the brakes on. I thought, uh, quite interesting. Yeah, we often often do that, don't we? Yeah, we work work against ourselves. I mean, it Mm -hmm. it is amazing to to have a mind that is so beautifully equipped to allow us to figure out what we should do to make everything as good as they can as it can possibly be and yet that same mind doesn't require us to actually do it it's bizarre if you think about it it's quite amazing uh, and, and how yet, do you think you know, how does that book help people to address these issues i'm i'm sorry i didn't hear you yeah i just wonder how 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 you think our book helps people to address these issues well, I think the most important thing it does is it, it turns the lights on. It, it lets people be aware of something that they're normally not aware of, and that's that acting on your good intentions is not an automatic process. It's a manual process, and it's a manual process that you can learn. You don't, you don't automatically uh, get to be an adult uh, knowing how to do this manual process, and it's not a gift. It's something that you, that you have to learn. And fortunately, it's something that you can easily learn. 
there aren't a whole lot of principles and strategies required. They're all easy to understand. Uh, we lay them all out in the book, but you can make a dramatic, dramatic difference in how successful you can be at turning your good intentions into action by simply doing this process manually instead of continuing to rely on something to happen automatically that it doesn't, that just is not going to happen. And if you keep on doing that, you're just going to keep on guessing what you always got. Right, um, right. You get the same, the same result, which is not very, not very impressive. I think one of the things that I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> Steve, that I found when I first studied your, your first book, following through, was, which was just so liberating, was actually not to blame ourselves for this, for not getting our intentions done. Because um, I think that's what a lot of people do, isn't they? They it impacts their confidence, right? And that's and that is, you know, the first step. If if someone is going to make to make a gigantic shift in their life from not following through very well on their good intentions to being able to turn their good intentions into success-producing action, the first step is to is to actually absolve yourself of blame for not following through because it isn't your fault it is the way it is truly a result of the silly way that the human mind is designed when it comes to good intentions it's just not it's not designed right it's not it's not designed to enable good intentions to actually govern our behavior so yes you have to you're you're not responsible it isn't your fault but that's not the end of it, and, and and it doesn't mean either that it's that it's hopeless, and that you just have to accept being a slacker for the rest of your life. <laughs> what it means is that you have to take seriously how the mind is designed, and use the wiring that's there—not the wiring that you thought was there, but the wiring that is there—to actually get stuff done. And you can, you can get you can get stuff done, but again, it's a manual process. And another big high for me when we were doing the book process was when we finally landed on the title. Uh, and in the book, we talk about about goo, and mm -hmm. so we talk about having a lot of lot of goo. Uh, a lot of, uh, maybe you'll have to explain what that is in a moment. But and we certainly got stuck with this one. We really did get stuck in the goo with it. And I wonder whether you have any thoughts on this and and your perception around handling you know sticky challenges. Well, yeah, that was. Uh, we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of aggravation on the on the title. I remember that. I remember emailing emailing each other back and forth. And how about this? Well, no. How about that? No, that wouldn't work. And it was it was uh, quite an ordeal. But it, there was there was never any doubt in in my mind, and I suspect in yours either, that at some point something great was gonna was gonna come out of a process that seemed frustrating and at times chaotic. It just seemed like if we stuck with it, there was there were some creative juices percolating beneath the sur surface that were eventually going to erupt and uh, and save the day. And that's and that's what happened. I think we were very happy with uh, with the title that we ended up with. Um, but we just we just kind of stuck with it. We 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 just stuck with it. We did not give up. At no point did we say, "Well, that uh, whatever, whatever the publisher comes up with, that'll be good enough." We didn't. We didn't do that. We just kept working on it, 
and um, and then we had to we had to sell the publisher on on our idea. And I think you, I remember remember having the publisher getting involved and the and the our agent getting involved as well, and, and me being over on, here on the UK on my own. It felt a little bit sometimes like two countries divided by a common language, <laughs> and, it, and it really brought those to you know to light. I'd never really thought about the you know the difference in you know in sort of cultural things and nuances and, and words between the US and the UK, but it really became very clear with that. Um, but I also remember, you know, you, you, we got to a, a point where, you know, we had, had to come at some point, and you came out with this idea of the power to get things done, and we had lots of options. Oh, yeah, I kind of quite like that, and it was kind of, kind of okay, but there's some other books with the power. And then I, and then I suddenly came up with the idea where it puts in brackets. Well, could we put in the brackets whether you feel like it or not? And I didn't that kind of feel at that point I'd really necessarily landed on something significant, but I kind of feel between us that we did. Yeah, that was brilliant. Uh, that just, was, uh, that just was absolutely sort of, brilliant. Because that's the book, the, the point for me where people the people read the title and they, and they read whether you feel like it or not, and then they say, I need that. <laughs> yes, yes. Because it says, it, oh, oh, this book is about me. Yeah. Because I don't, I often don't feel like it. I often know what I should do. I've often agreed to do it. I've often promised I'll do it, and I still don't do it. So this book is about me. Yeah, and it is, and it's about it's about everyone. It's about us. It is. It, yeah. it is. We, yeah, it's about us. It's about it's about everybody. It's uh, it came out of a need for myself. It came out of from a, I think a, a human need for uh, for most people. I mean, even the people I think sometimes have got this down to almost a you know a natural habitable. Uh, habitual process when I talk to them they still have got the manual strategies that they that they apply mm-hmm. and so we're going to go to commercial break again now uh, and after the break I'm going to ask Steve about his favorite some of his favorite strategies from the book that he personally adopts so we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes to join us when it comes to business you'll find the experts here Voice America Business Network. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, and if you want to find out more about the different shows that we have on, uh, on, on the Business Elevation Show, the different guests that are coming up and my take on them, if you go to chriscooper.co.uk and subscribe there to the, for the communication and sign up at the top of the page, uh, then we just share roughly about once a month. We share information on, on past shows and future shows and, and things that will help you to elevate yourself and your, and your business. So I'm back with, uh, with Steve Levinson, and I want to ask you, Steve, what are your favorite strategies from the book that you personally personally adopt to get things done? Well, one of the strategies or principles that I use quite commonly is that I, I, I never, ever assume that I'll get things done for the right reason or the good reason or the logical reason. So I always create a reason that will, that will move me. It doesn't have to make sense to me or to anyone else. It just has to move me. So let me give you a exa- personal example. I, I have this habit for lots of reasons, of avoiding medical care, even when I know I should get it. I just, I don't like getting medical care, and I put it off and put it off and put it off. So when I get to a point where I I really know I should get medical attention, but I'm still not doing it because I don't feel like doing it, and I'm resisting it, and I can't, I just can't get myself to do it, I do the following. I tell my daughter, about the health concerns that I have. And why do I do that? Because I know from experience my daughter is absolutely relentless. She, she has a way of influencing with me, influencing me, and uh, if I tell her that about something that makes her think that I need medical attention, I will get medical attention. I'd rather get the medical attention, which I didn't want to get, than to deal with her relentless uh, persecution of me. So it's silly. I mean, I want to be healthy. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't wanting to be healthy cause me to do the thing that I've intelligently concluded I should do? But it doesn't. But I found something else that actually moves me. It actually causes me to do what I intend to do. And this works every time. I've done it at least three or four times now. And uh, I just know how to make it work. It's just like pushing a button. All I have to do is tell her, and, and, and it's done. Within the next few days, I have an appointment to get the medical attention I should have been getting. So I do that, I do that all the time. I always, I always uh, assume that I have to have, that, that when I have a, a good reason or a right reason for doing something, it's just, it's quite likely not going to be enough. I have to get something that has more horsepower, something that actually makes me feel in my gut right now that I must do the thing that I intend to do. It's not just about, it's not just about willpower, is it? It's, uh, no. And forcing that's, yourself you know, one of the cause... important themes in our book is that relying on willpower is foolish. It's just foolish. Willpower is not a reliable commodity. It's, it's not only foolish, it's unnecessary. That if you, if you put yourself in the right circumstances, you don't have to rely on willpower. For, for example, if you're, you know, if you just love to eat uh, a certain kind of food that um, 
is this very appealing to you? And even if you've decided you shouldn't eat it for health reasons or other reasons, if you're around it, you're going to eat it. Well, you don't have to rely on your willpower if there's none of it around. I mean, if it's just not there and you can't get to it, then willpower is off the table. You don't need it. You don't need it. And people typically rely too much on willpower. It's just not reliable. It makes more sense to allow situations to do the heavy lifting, create situations that make it unnecessary for you to rely on willpower. I think I, I sort of love, love the way you articulate that about uh, letting situations do the, the heavy lifting for you. It really is about, isn't it, about creating those situations, but getting clear about what your intentions are and making sure you've not got too many, but also then creating those situations such that you have to act whether you feel like it or not. Exactly. See, we do, if you really look at the way the human mind is designed, the way it's wired, we do, we do what we feel is necessary. And when I say feel, I mean in your gut. When you, when you could feel it in your stomach that I have to do this, I must do this. It's not a matter of I think it would be a good idea or I've carefully considered and come to the conclusion that I should. I'm talking about actually feeling like you must. That is the trick to getting things done, whether you feel like it or not, to actually create that feeling in your gut that says that you have to do it. And sometimes that means creating reasons that, that are very compelling. They're, they're reasons that are, they may be stupid, they may be foolish, they may be unimportant, you know, compared to the real reasons why you should do something, but it doesn't matter if, they, if you can feel if you can feel a reason in your gut and it makes it feel like you have to do something, then by golly, that's what you need. And if you have the best reason in the world because you've decided that this is going to be great for you and great for your family and everything else, and it doesn't push you to actually do what you intend to do, it's a waste. It's not going to take you anywhere. Yeah. And I think one of the things we... You know, we say is that you mentioned there could be something small. Is that what works for one person? It may not work for another. Uh, therefore, so therefore, what we chose to do is we we chose to pepper the book with ideas from you know many great people from our network. Who uh, I want, I'm so grateful to all those people who did contribute, and there's even former world champions and world record holders, as well as business people and and entrepreneurs, and even a, even a fighter pilot. And uh, and I wonder. How do you think this research contributes to uh, to the book? Well, I think it contributes a lot to it, and one of the ways that it that it contributes to to the effectiveness of of the book for readers is that there are enough examples that that I think we we managed to convey that following through and getting things done, whether you feel like it or not, is it is an individual matter. It's not it's not a formula exactly. It's not something that. You, you know, this is what someone did, and this is exactly what you should do. But it does involve a certain amount of creativity and a certain amount of personalization. There are some basic principles, some basic strategies, but people put their own particular spin on things, and that's that's what we want. That's what we want to encourage. And I think by having lots and lots of different examples, uh, we... We, we, we illustrate how people go about it, but we're also not saying that, that you should do exactly what they're doing. There's lots of room for creativity. 
yes, yeah, so develop, by developing the strategy that strategies that work for you. That uh, right. I mean right. you can't wiggle out of those uh, those things that you need to do. Exactly. Um, I mean, what what have you personally learned through this book writing journey that's perhaps deepened your insight on the subject? Well, I'll tell you the thing that I cherish the most about my entire immersion in this topic of um, getting things done, whether you feel like it or not, is the, the whole idea of, of taking my own intentions extremely seriously. That they, they are, intentions are, are basically promises that you make to yourself. And if you make lots of promises and you don't keep them, uh, pretty soon you don't have a lot of credibility to yourself. Just just as if you made lots of promises to someone else and you didn't keep them, pretty soon they wouldn't believe a darn thing you were saying. And and I think that people do that to themselves, that whenever they easily adopt an intention and then not act on it, they they create an internal credibility that causes all of their intentions to not be very effective. So one of the things that I, that I see the biggest change in my own life as a result of this whole journey towards understanding what good intentions are all about and how to, how to actually act on them is that I'm much more cautious about making a promise to myself. If, and, and, if I'm, and that's because if I make a promise to myself, you bet I'm going to keep it. I would, if, someone, if someone came up to me and, and said, okay, you promised that you're going to do such and such this afternoon, and if you don't, uh, I want you to sign this document that, uh, that will turn over your car, the brand new car you just bought, to me. I wouldn't hesitate for a moment to sign it. Yes. I honestly wouldn't because I have now created in, my, in myself this idea that a, an intention is a sacred thing and that I'm not going to make a promise to myself, which is what an intention is, unless I actually fully believe that I'm going to act in accord with it. And I, I've come to believe, at least for myself, and I think this may apply to many others as well, is that happiness is happiness and contentment and personal effectiveness. It's not about how many promises you make. It's about how few promises you break. That, that the goal is, is to keep all the promises you make, and if that means that you make fewer promises, so be it. So be it. But that whenever you have an imbalance, it'd be, it'd be like, like spending more money than you have. That's a problem. You have a deficit. And if you have a deficit with, with, uh, in terms of making promises to yourself that you don't keep, it's nothing but trouble. It's an invitation for failure. I think I think what you describe as well. I think that's you know, that, that being able to trust somebody. You're much like to give somebody a premium, and and uh, in terms of what they say, if they're somebody who continuously does the things that they say they're going to do, right. and you're more like to follow, want to follow somebody who continuously sets intentions, and the and the behaviour is that they actually do it. And I think that's one of the the, the things that people really suffer with when when. Um, there are trust issues. It's with people who set intentions and say they're going to do something, but their behavior is different. Right. 
And if you do that with yourself, the same, the same thing happens. Just as, it, as you would lose trust in someone who makes promises and then doesn't keep them, you can lose trust in yourself if you make promises and you don't keep them. And if you lose trust, then what you, you've done is you've robbed your future intentions of having any effectiveness. Yeah. And I think many people, even people who, you know, on the surface appear to be successful, have many areas of life where they produce many more intentions than they actually act on. And that's not, in, in my opinion, that's not a good thing. And in, from my own personal experience, I would have to say that, that happiness and contentment comes from not doing that. It comes from taking your intentions so seriously that you only ad- adopt an intention if you're truly committed to acting on it. Yes. One of the things I, I hear myself saying often is that if you, if you treat your good intentions as if they're a dime a dozen, in other words, you produce them as if they're a dime a dozen, pretty soon that's what they'll be worth. They just don't, they don't have any value. Very true, and I think you'd be very helpful with me uh, during our journey when you've often said, Chris, I think you might have too many intentions here. <laughs> I think I you're doing too much. That. Yeah. <laughs> That's been really helpful. Steve, I'm just, uh, just mindful of the time. I've noticed that we've really mm-hmm. come towards the end of the interview. Um, I just uh, I need to, sort of about a minute to summarize, but in, in, a, in, a, in a minute, you know, any, is there any final message that you'd like to leave people with? Well, one, one very important message, if, there, if there's anyone out there listening who would write a, like to write a book with Chris, you couldn't find a better collaborator. So go ahead and call him. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and you've been a wonderful collaborator, too. Having more to do with the, the content of our, our book and the, and, and the purpose of it, you know, again, people should not blame themselves for not doing the things that they don't feel like doing. It's perfectly normal, and it makes perfectly good logical sense in light of the way the human mind is designed. But if you, if you truly want to be successful, and you're willing to cast aside some popular assumptions that you never even realized you were making, and look at how the mind really works, hey, you can get all kinds of things done. And, and investing in that, learning the few simple strategies and principles that we lay out in our book, if, if, if all you, you do is read the book and take those things seriously, it will make a huge difference in what you can, what you can get done. It's the best investment you could possibly make in your business and in your, in your life, the ability to, to get things done whether you feel like it or not, because life is filled and business is filled with stuff we'd rather not do but we know we should do it steve i've got to leave it there thanks so much for being on today it's been a thrill wonderful privilege to work with you i'm looking forward to continuing um, our relationship um, over the last uh, the last few years and, and going forward uh, and um thanks so much for being on today and sharing those thoughts and ideas people if you want to get in touch with us I mean, get in touch with me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. You can find out more about Steve at um, habitchange.com. Love to hear your thoughts and your feedback and those sorts of things. 
And the power to get things done, whether you feel like it or not, it's available from major online stores such as Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Penguin. I'll be issuing some videos soon um, for, if you join up to my newsletter or you join me on Facebook or something like that or LinkedIn. I'll be sharing um, interviews that I've done, video interviews with some of the amazing people who are inside the book. So what it will do is it will give you a sense of who those people are. They really do exist and what their thought processes and ideas are as well. So those will be starting to come out in the next uh, couple of weeks. So. Uh, once again, and um, thanks very much for listening to the show. Next week, uh, we have um, Anthony Day, and he's going to be talking about sustainability, so a different but really, really important subject. So uh, from Steve and myself, um, have a, a wonderful um, a week, and uh, do um, get lots of the right things done. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.